0: Happy
1: Christmas <laughs> and happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy uh mostly yeah. Yule. Yeah, merry Yule. Maybe a Saturnalia if you're feeling bacchanal. Why not? Just th- throw one in there. uh What is a uh, have a a uh, happy Festivus?
0: Oh yeah, Festivus for the rest of us. Absolutely. I don't have my I don't have my poll up for this year yet.
1: No, I have to dust I have to dust off my pole as well. Yeah. Alright, well um, happy holidays, folks, and welcome to our holiday season episode. Indeed. Uh, so
0: are you are you ready, Connor? Do you have your do you have your hot hot drink? Your hot I have a coffee. It's I, I, some I, cho- it's, it has some chocolate in it, so I could say it's a hot chocolate. I also have one of those those chocolate oranges you smash on the table. Yeah, it's I,
1: pre it's pre-smashed, so I don't spike the audio. I have um, some coffee. Actually, I just chugged it, which is usually what I do before an episode, just to get myself going. Yeah, just a harsher throat. I get it. Yeah. Well, again, welcome to our holiday episode. Chris had a really great idea that we um, create uh, a a gift list of sorts um, that we we go through the dadlit checklist and we suggest books that would be good gifts for each of the checklist items.
0: Yeah, I want I want to I want to do this again next year and be better prepared for it. Especially after we have a whole other year of dadlet under our belt. I feel like a lot of the things that I brought up are repetitive or related.
1: Well, my but, yeah, my approach to this was to pick out books that were good for each checklist item, but also books that looked good and were affordable. Um, So I'm also going to even take price into the. uh, I'm going to recommend some specific editions of books that I think, you know, if someone opened it up and they saw it, the cover art, they'd be excited. Um, So that's how I approach this. Um, And I try way more prepared than I am. I (laughs) I mean, that's normal. And I tried to select books that we haven't talked about. I think there might be one or two.
0: Okay, so I, t- I picked a bunch of books that we did, and then if it was something that didn't fit it or fit it better, I picked that instead. So some of the books will have been talked about. That's cool. I'm glad we're not both picking just the same books.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, you ready to get started? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going off of uh, the dadlit checklist we have posted on Instagram, and to start off with um, Hypercompetent Male Protagonist. What? As we brought up last
0: episode, uh, our show is basically hypercompetent male protagonist of the week.
1: Yeah. Um, so, which book did you pick out that you think would be a good gift? Any Dirk Pitt book. <laughs> any. I think
0: specifically, probably iceberg. Why iceberg? Um, Dirk Pitt gets away with a lot in that book. Uh, it's one of the first. It's it's early in the series, but it's one of the first early in the series where you're like, wow, he survived that, or oh, wow, he can do that. Oh, okay, oh, yep, he did that
1: too. He's especially hyper competent. He's hyper hyper competent. Of course, he's American. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wears cowboy boots with his you know black tie tuxedo. Um, uh,
0: s- s- speaking of American, something that came up in the last week that I think you'd find humorous. In recording uh, the first episode for my Twilight Zone podcast, we watched the first episode of the Twilight Zone and there's a scene in it where a guy with amnesia opens his wallet up. and He's like, I've got American money here. (laughs) American money. Uh, I must be American. And I'm like, what a weird bit of dialogue to put into anything. And, And then I realized that the context of the episode is like space travel and it came out like in the cold war era. And I'm like, Oh, okay. If they didn't mention that he was American, people might get the wrong idea.
1: Yeah, perhaps, perhaps you got
0: to know, you got to know when tuning into your television that these, he's someone you can root for and he's not a commie.
1: Oh yeah. I see. I, well, yeah, you don't want to challenge the viewer. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 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 All right. So for mine and for just a heads up, uh, my Christmas list here, uh, you might call it a very Western Christmas. I'm going to recommend a lot of pulp westerns, which is something I've read – I won't say a lot of over the past year, but I've kind of gotten interested in it and started collecting and reading some. So for number one, hyper-competent male protagonist, I'm recommending the book Fargo. It is the first book in the Fargo series, and it's just called Fargo by John Benteen. Is that
0: anything to do with the movie?
1: Uh, not much, not much. <laughs> actually, zero. Um, it takes okay, place. That's what uh, I was
0: wondering. I didn't know if it was related at all.
1: Yeah, I've actually I've read a few Fargo books. They mostly take place in the Southwest. Um, this one, uh, the first one, um, it well, let me just say Fargo is definitely a protagonist who outsmarts pretty much everyone, outguns everyone, any female character that's introduced. You can. Be fairly certain that he's going to sleep with her before the book is over, and is just you know the coolest dude ever. Um, he's he carries a what is called a, a, a batanga knife, which is described as being this knife from the Philippines. Um, and he carries, I think he carries a like a, a Remington uh, and a and a, a Remington rifle, a shotgun, and a six shooter. Reming,
0: Remington steel. He carries Pierce Brosnan.
1: So I'm not gonna. Um, well I want to talk a little bit about the author um and uh, this will be useful information because there's a few more pulp westerns on my list um sometimes a lot of these uh these um pulp westerns were written with a house name meaning um in in the series the house name would be the author's name on the cover but they would have a uh, uh, multiple different authors perhaps a rotating you know circuit of authors to come in and write those books Ben Hass wrote the Fargo books. That's his, his real name. Um, and I have something here I wanted to share. His son actually put this on the internet, and it's a letter that I believe um, it was written for his oldest son um, on how to write pulp westerns. Um, here's a few uh, selections, just to give you an idea of what the Fargo series is like. So he- here's um, some words from Ben Hass, a.k.a. John Benteen. Writing Westerns, laying aside the background knowledge, requires several points of reference. 1. The hero. 2. The villain. 3. The weenie. Of these three, the villain is most important. All Westerns center around a very strong villain. Not until the dimensions of the bad guy are established can the dimensions of the good guy be drawn. Jumping forward a little here. Always, the stronger the villain the stronger the hero. The stronger the conflict, the stronger the book. Next before the hero, in importance, comes the weenie, which is the term used in early movies for the reason for conflict between hero and villain. This can be money, girl, ranch, mine, or a combination. It must always involve the hero's honor as a man. Revenge is usually the strongest weenie in a series western. With the villain and the weenie established, the hero and background and subsidiary considerations fall into place. This is not to say that a unique background or idea cannot be the takeoff point for a book, but always, in developing it, the primary questions are, who is the villain, and why does he want to knock the hell out of the hero? Uh, Jumping forward a little bit more, Westerns, to be powerful, should be built in terms of Greek drama, Shakespearean tragedy, etc., These bones provide the skeleton on which a real human drama is erected. I think I have one more thing here. Okay, here's the most controversial part of this letter. Uh Uh-oh. All Westerns are fairy stories and outlets for impotent people. The villain must be larger than life, the hero larger than the villain. These are dream fulfillment books. Always the villain must have enormous dimensions. The hero must have even more enormous dimensions verging on Superman, but both must be taken down from the comic book realm by characterization. Each in the final analysis must be human, subject to doubts and regrets, but driven onward by forces slightly outside his control. So that's uh, some some of the um, Western uh, pulp writing Philosophy of uh, Ben Hass, aka John Benteen, um, who I'm recommending that people pick up a copy of Fargo. Uh, You'd have to buy it off of Thrift Books or Abe Books, but having a look at it today, editions go for about 15 bucks, and it's a cool little, you know, older, you know, pulp western book. Uh, The cover for the first one, the cover art for the first one isn't that exciting, but I do recommend it as a gift. Hopefully, that little uh, essay of his I read to you gives you an idea of how he he writes with pulp sensibilities but he seems to be a pretty you know well-read um writer you know referencing shakespearean tragedy and, and greek drama so it's a, his his books are are just candy you know they're 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 candy for for your pulpy brain but um they're also not the worst pulps out there they're actually pretty good thus ending my brief lecture on the pulp western uh as imagined by ben hass thank you for coming to his ted talk thank you for coming to my TED talk all right moving forward character with signature item what book did you recommend as a gift
0: okay so i recommend the the, the character with signature items uh the book Indiana Jones and the peril Adelphi. it is a prequel to the Indiana Jones films and um it pr- proudly features Indiana Jones and his signature bullwhip
1: that's awesome that that sounds good i
0: mean i i'd like and to. it's pulpy as hell
1: so i think you know i think that if you if you were to give someone a a, a gift-wrapped book and they open it and it's pulpy they're gonna smile and that's a good gift you know it's not we're not recommending like you know you should give them i claudius because it's everyone should read that like this these are fun books that'll make someone smile and they they yeah and i think
0: and i think indiana jones is good at making people smile also coming off of the recent movie whether you liked it or not you probably
1: want more indiana jones probably okay here's what i had Another Pulp Western, this one technically called, um, uh, written by an author who, th- the term came up like Piccadilly Cowboy, so there were um, British authors writing Pulp Westerns as well. This is Claw, Day of Fury by Matt Kirk. Now, Claw, um, Chris, you may have seen the cover art for this, is about a, um, uh, what did they call, well, you're a blacksmith, who uh, I believe his family... Um, gets killed early on in the book and his hand gets chopped off and he fashions a claw to put on his hand and and, uh, get retribution on people. And actually- As you do,
0: as one does.
1: I should say up front, I have a few things on my list that I have not read (laughs) and I'm recommending them just Cause they're fun. This is one that I own. Um, I've, I haven't read all of it. I started reading it, but I put it down, but, um, I'll indicate too when I'm, when I've read something and when I haven't read it, but, um, yeah, I haven't read this one, but I know someone would open it up and laugh and en- enjoy themselves. Um, and it's a pretty well reviewed book for, for a pulp book, you know? Okay. Moving on signature weapon or vehicle.
0: I'm going to go with the man with the golden gun by Ian Fleming. It is it is the signature weapon in the title. It is not as good as the movie, I will say, but it is an interesting read because it is drastically different from the movie. And it is a little bit of a western because the man with the golden gun in the novels is more of a cowboy.
1: Oh, really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. He's sort of quite like suave and debonair and kind of European in the movie. Yeah, and so not not at all in it.
0: the in the in the book. He's Amer- American, I believe, and uh has like cowboy boots and he's a very different character
1: well that sounds cool it sounds cooler actually uh, than the in the movie even though i, I like it's not <laughs> okay well never mind um <laughs> what could, do you ha- what do you have down okay i have another one this is another pulp western and it's the last pulp western. oh my god <laughs> um, is it the last one really yes, though yes, it is gatling zuni gold so the series is called gatling and the book is zuni gold and in each of these books the um the character of gatling who who is worked for the gatling company but he's actually not supposed to be like um i don't think he's supposed to be the inventor of the gatling gun but um in each one he he's a weapons tester he's an experimental weapons tester so in each one he has an automatic weapon um and he's in a he's in a western with the, you know an automatic you know with a machine gun Um, so the first one's called Zuni gold, take a look at it, look at the cover art. It's excellent. It's a cowboy looking guy with this, um, almost like a Browning automatic rifle looking, uh, with with a, with a, um, like a box ammunition attached to it. Um, you can find it online, $25 for a used uh, copy, probably a good gift for a collector. It's a, that's, I think the most expensive thing I have on my list, um, but again, that's the interesting, that's the end of my uh, Western recommendations. All right, let's move on to the next one. Henchmen. Again, I'm going to have to go with Ian
0: Fleming, the man like James Bond stories are famous for having henchmen. And I'm going to go with probably the most famous henchman that appears in the books, at least uh, Goldfinger featuring the henchman odd job. Okay, that's good. It is one of the it is one of the books that is very close to the plot of the movie. So if it's if, if, if you're shopping for someone who is a fan of James Bond and has seen the movies, I don't they might enjoy it. they might not uh, and oh I see I see you've got something in your hand there,
1: Connor <laughs> but
0: but regardless of if they've seen it or not, I think the book is pretty good.
1: Okay, well, I'll tell you what I um I have a Bond book as well as my uh, henchman uh, selection. It's Doctor No. Oh, that comes up on my list later. There's not, uh, I don't think there's like one standout henchman like Odd Job, but he has these these uh, islanders that it's. I mean, it's pretty offensive the the way they're referred to, but it does conjure an image of like an army of henchmen who are all pretty pretty much look the same um so that kind of came to my mind when when uh when i thought of henchmen dr no by ian fleming specifically the penguin viking edition um it is about i think it's maybe like 12 13 bucks online um there's this newer edition of bond books that I, i've seen out now and the the cover art is kind of it's not that interesting it looks like you know computer generated no. graphics but the Penguin Viking one has this nice kind of coarsely textured cover that has uh, some uh, pulpy, again, it's the word of the, word of the evening, pulpy artwork of a, of a woman in a bikini. And then it has a, Ooh. I think it's supposed to be Dr. No, but it kind of looks like a gray alien. It, its head is like hovering over it. Um, but okay, next up. Oh, and I was going to show you this thing. Um, I got this book Icebreaker by John Gardner. It's a Bond book. And by this guy who uh, was a, you know, next-gen Bond writer.
0: Yeah, I'm reading a couple of next-gen Bond writers.
1: I don't remember if one of them is him. Okay, next up, Elite Fighting Force. Go ahead, Chris.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with what we we recently read, um, Where Eagles Dare. Okay, cool. So it's got it's got two elite fighting forces. The main characters are an elite fighting force and they're up against an elite fighting force. Um, if if you want an even better one, I would go with the opposite of that, which is um, the Eagle has landed, which again features two elite fighting forces because you have the main characters that are a group of Nazi paratroopers. And then you have the Americans that are there. Doing operations and things that can get brought in.
1: Okay, that's good. You know, I feel like if I was more, if I was better read in the in the Tom Clancy books, I would recommend something there because I'm, I think, you know, in like Rainbow Six and all that. Rainbow
0: Six, Um, yeah. But
1: but we do need
0: to read that eventually. That was what was originally pitched to us to read for Tom Clancy, and we instead uh, vouched for um for red red October yeah. because of you know obvious reasons it is like the most well-known
1: and the movie's great so that definitely swayed us okay so for my elite fighting force I chose a book I've referenced many times but we haven't reviewed it yet maybe we will maybe we won't but dogs of war by Frederick fourths Forsyth um this is a book about uh the main character is a mercenary. And he has a team of mercenaries he works with. um, And together, they organize a massive, violent... Well, it's not massive, actually. They organize a violent coup in this small uh, African country. Uh, They intend to overthrow the uh, dictator and install a new one who is more friendly to their employer's um, capitalistic aims. Um, And the mercenaries in it are all pretty hardcore. It's a small group of guys who are... All pretty um, buff and macho, and uh, I, I enjoyed the book. Um, there's a hardcover edition 1974 It's going for about it's not for, for, or it's a first it's a first edition hardcover. not that expensive for a first edition on thrift books. Um, it's It's just this red cover and it's got two Mauser c96 um, automatic pistols, uh, like resting across each other. Uh, the Mauser is another a rather iconic looking gun that I, I sometimes go down uh, rabbit holes learning about. It, it, it's that one that you might see um, in like a World War II film it was like a Nazi having where it's a pistol, but it's got like a, uh, it's got like a long um, square uh, clip that fits into it. And it's, it's sometimes referred to as the broom handle because the, the handle, the grip uh, kind of looks like this wooden, uh, like broom handle type grip. Do you, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Chris? Mm-hmm. yeah Mauser yeah. so dogs of war uh, I I really like that book I can see why people would read it and think it's boring but I don't know I really enjoyed it again and it's also like a logistical thriller because it's pretty much it's, it's mostly about them preparing to do this thing okay up next technician class characters um. Take your pick
0: of Michael Greit books. Almost all of his main characters and supporting cast are technician class characters. Oh, I did take Uh, my pick. Okay, good. Uh, I'm interested to hear which one you pick. If I'm going to pick one, I'm probably going to go with Sphere. Sphere is uh, about a group of technician class characters under the water dealing with science stuff. And you get uh, quite a lot of different types of technician class characters in that.
1: Okay, Chris, I want to ask you a question. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with the phrase "power bottom"? Yeah, of course. So, for the people at home, "power bottom" in a in a domination scenario is uh, you know typically uh, a person positioned in the bottom might be considered the submissive in a sort of... The
0: person taking it, the person taking it, and in most situations, the person taking it is generally submissive because you imagine the person giving it being very dominant. Right. But in this situation, a power bottom is the person that is dominant but also
1: taking it. I want to introduce you to a new concept building off of that. I'm talking about the power side what? Ooh, what? <laughs> what let me give you an example the, the power cuck? the power side um this would be <laughs> this is a character who's a side character um in a in a novel but they exert such a powerful influence over the story that they might be remembered or regarded or appreciated like a primary character
0: Oh my God! Can we add this to the checklist? Is this can can power side be a new checklist item?
1: Well, if they're, I think if they're a power side, they're probably a technician class character because those side characters are usually technicians. But this is a okay. Let me just talk. I'm talking about Doc Thorne from The Lost World by Michael Crichton. Now I don't know if you you remember that character. Um, when I read The Lost World, I was really uh, I liked this part of the book and I was so surprised by it that there's a lot of um, detail and information given about the preparation for their their mission to – is is it Isla Sorna they go to in that book? Um, Uh, Isla Nublar. Nublar, okay. And they – one of the people that helps them, and I think he goes with them too, it's been years since I read it, is this engineer who specializes in uh, high-performance outdoors equipment. From vehicles to like smaller communications equipment to, to like clothing and boots, he's an expert on gear and his name is Doc Thorne. Um, in the movie, he's there's a there's a guy, I think his name's Eddie Carr in the movie that is a, yeah. a composite of, of Doc Thorne and another character. but in the book, he is basically a master engineer and technician who um, his technology, Uh, saves them in in multiple points but uh, it's it's so primary in the book that i have to call him a power side even though he's not one of uh, you know he's not ian malcolm who is the main character
0: also i want to retract what i said you are correct it is isla sorna
1: because isla nublar is the first one yeah and they go to a different is
0: the first one isla sorna site b yeah right um that's a good that is a good technician class character that i haven't thought of in a while connor
1: Okay. All right. So the next thing we have on our list is Pencil Necked Bureaucrats. And I couldn't think up like a good book for that. Did you have anything?
0: Yeah. So for Pencil Necked Bureaucrats, I said one of two uh, Clive Custler novels, either Sahara, which they made a movie on. The book is a little bit different, but there are scenes in that where they go to talk to people about important stuff and they just don't care and give them the runaround. Um, or the one that we originally uh, recorded for our pilot which was uh, Night Probe
1: yeah there's a there's a pretty significant uh, interaction with the pencil neck bureaucrat although you know what's funny is I-, I could say that like maybe a John le Carré novel because the pencil neck bureaucrats are the main characters and you get a glimpse at the government work of espionage as it is a state you know it is is a government job so there are pencil neck bureaucrats who fulfill very important functions and you meet all these different characters but um i didn't have anything that 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 jumped out at me okay next one we have on our list is president as character um and again on our checklist we we do give bonus points if we never get a head-on look at the at the president if we only see their reflection or you know like half of their face but what did you have for president as character
0: um, I don't have one, but I guess you could say that um, um, that that one by um, Stephen King where they kill Kennedy. 11 uh,
1: 2263 Yeah, that. There you go. We'll use that one. Okay. Well, I have um, one here. I was kind of split between this and something else, but there's a really good um, detective uh, novel, and it's a series. I've only read the first one, but I, I enjoyed it um, by Max Allen Collins, who, um, writes the Quarry books as well. He's a pretty, you know, celebrated, recognized, um, crime fiction author, but there, he has these, um, Nathan Heller books. And the first one is called true detective. And in it, um, you meet some historical characters like, uh, Al Capone and Anton Chermack, who's the mayor of Chicago. Um, but FDR also appears uh, briefly. Oh. And if you know a little bit about um, Chicago crime history, Anton Schermack and FDR were uh, involved in something uh, uh, rather exciting together. I'll just say that there was a, you know, a, a, a public event where I don't want to spoil it's not, its history, but it's a part of the book where someone tries to kill. I think they I, actually I don't remember if they successfully killed Anton Schermack, but it was an assassination attempt. True Detective by Max Allen Collins. I uh, highly recommend You can get a paperback copy anywhere, you know, in any any online bookseller. You might even be able to find one in a brick-and-mortar uh, store. Okay, next, cameos of famous historical figures.
0: Okay, this was a really fun one. So, um, it's Dragon's Teeth by Michael Crichton, uh, published posthumously after he died. It is... Um, Based on the Bone Wars, a real-life historical period of time when uh, paleontology was kicking off and there was, like, fights to get ar- like digs and find dinosaur bones and fill museums with them. It was a moneymaker. Uh, and there were lots of uh, professors and people claiming to be professors going on expeditions to the Old West and digging up bones and having... um. Camps set up and there were times where people would sneak into your camp and steal your fines or sabotage your your dig or like try to figure out where you're going and beat you there and claim lay claim to the dig. And the book is kind of about that and it doesn't follow events 100% historically, but there are some events that are based on true events and there's also some really surprising historical
1: characters that show up, including some cowboys. Oh so I read that book and I I really liked it too. Um but oh, Cowboys can you I'm trying to remember who who when uh when
0: uh, when they the main character is near near a part of the, I don't want to spoil it for oh, people. Oh I kind of remember.
1: People. No no, I know I remember this now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. It is there's a...
0: like there's a there is a there is a a a uh, famous Outlaw slash gunslinger that is hired for protection in part of the book. I rem- okay,
1: it is a bit of um, it is a building's roman of sorts. It is kind of about this uh this young guy who goes on on this journey to to dig up bones, and he he it's kind of like off a dare. Like people are like.
0: If you're too posh you wouldn't ever get your hands dirty he's like oh yeah well i'll show you right. and signs up for
1: this kinda of, it's a it's a bit of a rite of passage for him and he sort of comes of age and becomes like a more independent person through the the course of it i thought i really like that book um i enjoyed that and it's a cool book yeah yeah okay so i have this book that um i'm about <laughs> 10 pages from finishing um right now and it's called march violets by philip care who's a um, British author and it is a detective uh, book. It's part of a series um, about this detective in Berlin on the pretty, well, I won't say on the Eve, but uh, before world war two, Adolf Hitler is in power. The book March violets, which is the first of the Bernie Gunther series. Who's the detective uh, takes place in 1936, which is when uh, the Olympics were being held in Berlin. And um, it, figures into the story and you get a glimpse at a very famous uh, the summer olympics you get a, f- a glimpse at a very famous american athlete whose presence in berlin and his excellent performance in the olympics uh, uh would have caused quite a stir amongst uh, the german people um do you know who i'm talking about who well i'm talking about um jesse owens Oh, yes. uh, The Olympian. Right, right. And, you know, I was thinking about this particular um, checklist item and I had to kind of like remind myself we're talking about cameos. So, you know, we've read I've I've read, you know, historical novels where historical figures are characters. But in terms of a cameo, I kind of had to think a little bit more. I'm like, who's someone that just kind of shows up briefly? So and I would describe Jesse Owens as a cameo. In this, okay. Next, those are both good picks. Which ones, mine and yours?
0: Yeah, both of those for for historical cameos. Those are both really good.
1: Yeah, they're, Yeah, they're, Yeah. Next, Texans.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna go with a western on this one. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with Blood Meridian. Okay. <laughs> yeah um, uh, a part of a part of the story takes place in Texas. And, um, several of the characters are from there, but, um, the main character isn't. So it's not like from Tennessee f- focused. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's a, f- I, I just wanted an excuse to put this book on the, the list. I highly recommend this book. If you're looking for something that a dad would enjoy reading, this is a very dark and gritty look at the West uh, I feel like it's very true in a lot of ways, even though it's a fictional story. Um, it doesn't romanticize the West, and I think that's kind of the point. But also, it has some really good characters and some really good descriptions and writing in it. And, yeah, um, one of the characters is a, a Texan, whatever. It checks the box. Yeah.
1: Okay, um, uh, mine's a Western as well, but it's a little bit of a... You said there weren't any more! <laughs> actually, I did, sorry. Well, it's not a pulp Western. It's actually a pretty... Um, well, it's called News of the World by Paulette Giles. And okay. um, it got made into a movie, um, but the story is about this uh, civil, civil War veteran living in Texas. And um, at the time of the story, uh, a lot of children who were uh, kidnapped by the Native American tribes or being returned to the white people. And um, this is a story about a girl who gets returned and this character, Captain Kidd, um, it is his responsibility. He's retired from the military, but he's kind of regarded as just, you know, a good guy and a reliable guy. He is going to travel across Texas to return um, this girl to, uh, actually, I think he's given her to, to her aunt because her parents are dead. So he's trying, he's, He's got a young lady he's um, transporting across Texas. She doesn't speak English. She was raised by, I I think it, I don't want to say it was the Kiowa, but I don't know. I don't know that. Um, um, She was raised by Native Americans. She doesn't speak English. Um, So he, it's a struggle, you know, she's, she is, um, she's being pushed back into white society. And of course, you know, the journey there, which is a journey through Texas, um, is filled with you know all the things that happen when you get in on get on a horse and buggy and travel through Texas. So, um, News of the World by Paulette Giles was made into a movie. News of the World, uh, featuring Tom Hanks, uh, directed by Paul Greengrass. Um, I don't think the movie was as good as the book, but I will say if you want to see me in a feature film,
0: oh Jesus!
1: Pause. News of the World. It, an hour and 34 and 17 seconds in, and look in the background, and the guy making the stupid face, that's me.
0: Oh, no, that's right now. You're making that face right
1: now. Every, I, I, <laughs> I, every time I see a picture of myself, I'm like, wow, you kind of look like the village idiot. Like the guy who's always like, hu, hu, hu. that's what I look like in News of the World. You can't really even well, see stop, me. Well, stop cultivating that image for yourself. <laughs> that's just what i I'm naturally dumb looking, you know? <laughs> I disagree. Okay, well, thank you. All right, well, next up, and I don't have anything for this one, competency shift? No. Okay, let's keep moving forward. Misogyny, racism, and other outdated modes of thinking. That's where Dr. No comes up on my list. You could also
0: put on, um, uh, oh, what is the other one? Um, Live and Let Die. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. That book is also uh
1: pretty outdated. And it's getting cleaned up, I believe. That's one of the books, or maybe it already has, uh that's being That is revised. one of the
0: ones I think that they're censoring, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. For mine, I have and we know it's actually well it's not funny, but the uh Doctor No um I picked the, the the I picked it for my henchman selection. It is Correct. it is the henchmen that are it is the the uh, racism and outdated modes of thinking it is mo- i mean that's what stands out to me the most okay but for mine i had american tabloid by james elroy um i pick any james elroy book honestly but um yeah. this has uh it's a it's a good book it's a great book but it has um, plenty of uh uh insensitive language about gay people um, uh, people of color, any, take your pick, you know, um, but, and it figures into the story because, you know, a lot of it's about blackmail. So in it, you have, you know, gay gangsters getting blackmailed by, you know, con artists and people like that. But, uh, it's a pretty, uh, um, politically incorrect book, but it's, it's, I'm not saying that as a criticism of it, it actually really seems to suit the story that's being told. But again, pick any James Elroy book and you're going to get misogyny, r- racism, and other outdated modes of thinking. Okay, moving forward. Excessive Smoking. Um,
0: I don't really have one for that. Do you have something? I can think of, I can think of a lot of books that like if I had to pick one, I would pick what I have for the next item on the list. But I could also say for this one, any Sherlock Holmes
1: story. Do you have something for Excessive Drinking? Yes. Okay, because I blended mine, my, my ex- excessive Correct. smoking would, and drinking this, this, into these one. Two, these two would mix together very well. Okay, so let me just do mine really quickly. So I said sure. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John Le Carre. Um, the drinking and um, sort of self-destructive lifestyle of a particular character is a central plot element. Um, it is – this character undergoes a transformation – where he basically becomes an alcoholic. And I believe he smokes a lot too um, in order to, uh, well, in order to, to put out a, a certain public image. So lots of smoking, lots of drinking, lots of talking about, well, it's not a lot, but his, his drinking becomes a problem for other characters. So the spy who came in from the cold by John Le Carre. what did you have?
0: Um, I have um, again, pick any Philip Marlowe story. By Raymond Chandler, um, their noir, I love them. Their their dialogue is like the like iconic noir dialogue, and they're always talking about drinking. Like every few pages, every time characters are meeting up, there's drinks being poured, and there's just
1: as much smoking going on. yeah that's that's a good one that's if i
0: had to recommend if i had to recommend one for a gift i would go with my favorite one which is farewell my lovely
1: okay very good all right moving forward cold war context slash red menace what do you have for that one so this one is i mean there's so much to pick from because the cold war is, is such a motivator for thrillers and you know spy novels and whatnot i kind of just pick something off the shelf that I'd read semi-recently, and it's the last book of the Liam Devlin series. It's called Confessional, and let me read the back for you. His code name is Cuchulain. He's a ruthless hitman planted in Ireland by the KGB. For nearly three decades, he has sown chaos and fear, selecting his victims to ensure that the cycle of violence and revenge between the IRA and British intelligence remains at a fever pitch. Supplied with the perfect cover, he is now closing in on the perfect target. Millions in Britain await the Pope's arrival, a chance to affirm their faith in both God and the possibility for peace. But for Cuchulain, the papal visit provides the chance of a lifetime, the culmination of his career as a professional killer. Even the KGB has lost control of the rogue assassin, and only two people can stop him Liam Devlin, the retired IRA gunman hated by the British and tanya verona nova the beautiful daughter of a kgb general if they fail kuchelane promises to bring an entire nation to its knees leaving it without a prayer it has a cold war context but it doesn't have that red menace thing we talk about where it's like oh you know where like the you know something funny an author i really like uh, joe lansdale has talked about um growing up in east texas and i think he said something like you know when I was a kid and, you know, you'd read about like communists and, and the Soviets in the newspaper, I imagine these, these like people with these like giant faces and like one eyeball in the middle of their forehead. Like he, the, the, the the monstrous characterization of, of communism and Russians and the Soviet Union was such that, you know, they were like alien looking to him. But um, yeah, I, I feel okay about that pick. I mean, I feel good about uh, uh, promoting a Liam Devlin book, but yeah,
0: okay. Um, I feel like I'm on one note here on this one. I'm going to go with a couple more Ian Fleming picks. Um, So much spy literature is Cold War context. Um, and I think the two picks that I have are really interesting for opposite reasons. My favorite James Bond book and movie, uh, From Russia With Love, which is about two agents being played against each other uh, to kind of like start shit between two countries... And um, it shows a little bit of what the first James Bond book does really well. So Casino Royale does a really good job of uh, taking place during the Cold War and putting James Bond against ideals that he isn't expecting to come to terms with. And there's some really good personal discussion at the end of that book about spies spy craft and um,
1: point of view that I think is really interesting okay that's a good uh, yeah I, I like uh, from Russia with love is uh, that's a that's a very good one because it does have that iconic um, you know east versus west um, uh, element to it that is that is more along the lines of the red menace kind of you know uh, dynamic we're talking about. Um, okay up next gratuitous sex scenes did you have anything for that no but you could pick any clive cussler i was really... gonna say this i didn't not one didn't come to mind but i thought of dirk pitt you know um yeah okay salvage operation
0: okay so for salvage operation uh i thought of raise the titanic
1: so did I. That's what that's what I picked yeah. up. And get a good. Get, I, a it's cool, so audacious. Yeah.
0: It's such. It's such a ridiculous concept to put in a book of. Hey, we're gonna have. Uh, we're gonna
1: bring the Titanic up, and you and get. There's a nice. There's plenty of nice paperback editions that have like the Titanic on the cover. So it's a cool gift yep. as well. And again, this there's a sort of like audacity to to the book. You know, raise the Titanic. So again, but it pulls it off. It pulls it off. It, again, it's one of the early books and if
0: I'm, i am don't know if we've really touched on it but my opinion on clive Custler is that he's best in his early books um and i think uh raise the titanic is about around the turning point where they start becoming um more i don't want to say pulpy but more um sensational
1: okay so that this is this is uh He's starting to, to shift here, like the first, but he hasn't the gone first, too yeah, like far. The,
0: the, first four, the first four or five books, I think, are really tastefully done as adventure novels. And I think after that point, he starts becoming sensational. Dirk Pitt becomes more of a, a Mary Sue, more of a hypercompetent male protagonist. And they're still good. Don't get me wrong. They're, they just get a little bit eye-rolly. You start you start reading
1: lines and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So um, next on our list, I have Fails the Bechdel Test. I don't, I don't have anything good for that. I do. Okay, go ahead. F- Friends of Eddie Coyle, one of the first
0: books that we talked about. Because it's just a bunch of guys talking about guy stuff and talking to each
1: other about sandwiches and ball games and crime. You know, I will say, okay, I was going to say, you know, at the end, um, there, there's a DA character who, I think it's like in the final pages of the book, they have this conversation about... Um, Jackie Brown, kind of a spoiler alert here, but they're having this conversation and they're like, he'll go to jail, get out. He'll do it again. This is just the cycle. This is what happens. But I was going to say, well, you know, she's in there, but they are just talking about a male character. Correct. And she isn't talking
0: to another female. I don't believe. Yeah, you're right. It's just a
1: bunch of it's just a bunch of boys being boys. Yeah. So I don't. That's a great pick. It is very much, you know, the friends of Eddie Coyle. Yeah, they're all a bunch of dudes. Um, Yeah. Vill um okay villain monologue. I don't have something for villain monologue. I do have something for villain anti monologue.
0: Uh, I would say for villain monologue, uh, your best bet, even though we've talked about how like henchmen and villains are like iconic for James Bond books, I think they're much better in the Isaac Bell series by Clive Kessler. Uh Most of those books are co co authored, and they are. They take the James Bond paradigm and like setup, put it into the old like the the New West, like the the turning turn of the century West, and every book features some sort of fun, colorful villain that would that would be right at home in a James Bond movie, and they all have something to say. So they all have some sort of fun monologue to when they get confronted by the main character. Um, if I was gonna pick a couple, I would say the cutthroat which features jack the ripper and uh the thief which is one of my favorites of the series um that is about like uh a german provocateur trying to um influence politics via hollywood
1: okay interesting okay well i'm gonna read some more isaac bell books in the future so but that's a good okay good gift um Okay, so for mine, I picked a villain anti monologue, or for villain anti monologue, I picked a novel. It's a very popular spy novel. It's called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and it's a John Le Carré book. Um, and there's um, the the story is about the search for um, a mole inside British intelligence.
0: And I think that book, I think that book would check a lot of the boxes on our list and be an excellent gift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's some really nice additions. There's an older hardcover version that has this like shiny gold background. That's really nice. And this sort of like Soviet looking font. It's a, it's a procedural and
0: uh, it's, I, I think it would appeal to a lot of dads well, for a, a lot of reasons. Right. And
1: it's his books. They're kind of dreary in the sense that, you know, they're not action it's not like a bond book at all um and in tinker taylor soldier no, spy it's an- analytical when when the mole is revealed it's actually i found it to be like rather sad because it's like oh wow you know that's that sucks that's kind of that kind of hurts yep. it's hurtful uh, and, I th- and that's how it's going to
0: feel in real life most of the time if you're exposing someone who's a mole or a spy it's probably someone you know yeah. if you're like working in the government or you're working in intelligence And that's going to disappoint you. And, And yeah, and it's, it's, it can also, it can also be disappointing if, if, if you like the game, if, if you're in, in it for, you know, solving the case, you're, once you solve the case, that, that excitement is over. And it's just a big letdown when you find out who it is that's been betraying your country. Right.
1: It's, um. The the when the mole is revealed, it's not an anticlimactic part of the book, but for the characters, it's kind of anticlimactic because the reasons he gives for doing what he did are rather um, they're not even ordinary; they're just rather unimpressive and kind of depressing. And I actually wanted to share a little piece of this. And I don't. Uh, it's been years since I read it. I, I I went back and scanned through the book.
0: God, I, this isn't going to spoil the book, is it? No, I'm
1: not going to give anyone's name away. Um, but I don't know if the, the mole, they break up some of the things he says, like after he's revealed, they question him. And, um, here's, here's a little part of that book to give you a good idea of what I mean by, um, anti, uh, anti villain monologue, because it's, it's rather, you know, he doesn't, he he doesn't get there and say, well, I was going to take over the world, but here's what he says for a while after 45, he said, he had remained content with Britain's part in the world, till gradually it dawned on him just how trivial this was. How and when was a mystery. In the historical mayhem of his own lifetime, he could point to no one occasion. Simply he knew that if England were out of the game, the price of fish would not be altered by a farthing. He had often wondered which side he would be on if the test ever came. After prolonged reflection, he had finally to admit That if either monolith had to win the day, he would prefer it to be the East. It's an aesthetic judgment as much as anything, he explained, looking up. Partly a moral one, of course. So that's, I think that's an anti-monologue, and I love it, it's great. Okay, Tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. See if you can get an older hard cop, uh, hardcover edition. There, there's, there's a new, newer versions of them in paperback. But try and find the older hardcover. It's, it wouldn't be that expensive. Up next, breezy scientific or technical exposition.
0: I'm gonna go for an uncommon choice on this
1: one. Okay, go a western. <laughs> no. Uh.
0: Sherlock Holmes okay now is there particular in most most of the Sherlock Holmes stories take your pick I could recommend uh, Hound of the Baskervilles I could recommend um, several of the other short stories and things but um, there's a wonderful collection there's an audiobook collection you could gift to someone if they are a fan of audiobooks that is the entire collection of Sherlock Holmes read by Stephen Fry. His voice is perfect for it. Uh, it'll make even the, the like few of them that are kind of like m- m- boring, not so boring. Uh, but Sherlock Holmes is like a super detective and he notices all sorts of weird minute things. And the way uh, Watson and him discuss his deductions and how he describes the things are very breezy it's oh well you know I saw this on your cuff and that told me that you'd been you know busy today and the on your shoes were carrying mud which means you've you know been to the country and it just kind of like goes by real quick and even when it gets to like pseudoscience and science they do not go into detail in it it's very breezy
1: okay and I'm sure there's there's plenty of additions out there that are you know oh there's
0: some beautiful ones if you want to go to barnes and noble there's the like leather bound ones that they have there's um several websites you can find beautiful like folio editions of them um they look real good on a bookshelf so they're an excellent gift and but like i said i would recommend the uh, the stephen fry audiobook
1: version okay here's and this pick for me is my dad lit book pick of the season. I think this is the best gift. Ooh, the the gift, your big gift. Um okay, it is a Michael Crichton novel.
0: <gasps>
1: so it obviously has some scientific and technical content. Um Is it Congo? Chris. It is Congo.
0: It is Congo.
1: But it's a very oh, specific man. edition. So um I am talking about the um uk first edition by alan lane it's a uh, alan lane's the publisher uh, uh it's the uk first edition hardcover. it is a really cool looking uh piece of uh, cover art and I'll, I'll definitely put this on instagram it has the title congo in this very like futuristic computer type font, I I believe it's called Westminster is is the typeface. So if you want to look that up, it's, it's very... very that's very appropriate for the subject matter of the book. And right, and so is and at the bottom it has you know Michael Crichton, author of the Andromeda Strain, and smaller Westminster typeface. But the cover art, the image, is Amy the gorilla in front of. Um, uh, she's in the foreground and in the background is a volcano and a jungle scene and a river and a waterfall but even in the further i guess that might be the middle ground in the way background um is this this microchip that kind of is like the border for the um for the artwork it looks really cool it's a great book it's a great story i love this it's a book. great
0: it's a it's, it's a great story about like the explosion of technology and um, Silicon Valley competing with each other to make microchips, even though the actual story takes place in, of course, the Congo, and there's all sorts of really fun like uh, pulp adventure, nature, Indiana Jones style, even like a little bit of like a creature feature. There's so much to that book. It's one of the, the most multifaceted of Michael Kragan's books. But the basis of it is they want crystals, diamonds, that can be used to make better microchips, which is actually still relevant to this day. Everything is um, – I just saw an article uh, earlier today that some the one of the supercomputers that they use um, discovered new – types of crystals that can be used for supercomputing and um that like number of types of crystals that can be used for that is like mind-boggling it was like i don't i wish i could remember this statistic but if you guys are interested in that sort of thing Congo's a great read and also look up that article just i think just like look up supercomputer
1: discovers new crystals um this is so uh this is a theme too that's in um uh dogs of war, you know, like the exploitation of, of Africa by tech companies and people that are, that manage, you know, natural resources. But again, okay. Congo, UK first edition, Allen Lane, you can find copies online. I've seen them as high as 60 and as low as $6. It's probably a matter of, you're going to have to get it used. Obviously it's probably a matter of um, the, the quality of it, whether it's in good, acceptable, very good near mint edition. Um, you could probably find something you know, in between, like thirty bucks, but uh, you might have to hunt around for it because I don't think there are that many of the UK edition. There's also an, uh, an American edition. I think it's the first edition hardcover that has some really cool artwork on the front as well. It's got Amy the gorilla and like a more kind of pulpy jungle background. I, I just love the uh, artwork for this UK one though. It's really cool the way that the microchip. Yeah, kinda... you held it up. It looks cool as hell. Yeah, it's in our yeah. it's in our notes on on the folder if you want to take a look at the image. Um, okay. But that's my big pick of the year and I'll definitely post a picture. That's of it. a good pick. Okay. I, I second that pick. All right. Next on our list, non-fictional framing device. I'll just say mine quickly. Cause I didn't have anything great for this. Actually. I think it's a great book. It's one of my favorite books. Now the Eagle is landed by Jack Higgins Bantam paperback edition. I think you can find it for like five bucks online. This is the same one that I left in a hotel room in uh, New Mexico somewhere um but it's a cool You hear that everybody? Yeah. Go to New Mexico and find a free book and gift it to your dad. The Bantam paperback when you open up the cover it has these cool like scratchy pencil-like illustrations on the inside of of a bunch of the characters including uh I think Heinrich Himmler. That's a good pick. What do you got? All
0: right, so for not for, yeah, so my pick for a non-fictional framing device is Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton. It is a—I think the movie's better, but the book is a very interesting book, especially if your dad enjoys, like, history books or uh, Norse mythology. It is presented as, like, uh, like a research paper or uh, old documents, old manuscripts being discovered and translated— And tells the story of a group of Norse warriors uh, traveling to fight, uh, like, a supernatural threat. But it's not really supernatural. It's just a bunch of cannibals that have, like, a spooky vibe and made everybody superstitious. But it's uh, a pretty cool story presented in a very strange medium. Um, A little hard to follow at times, but I think it's a pretty... If you found a good edition with a pretty cool cover, someone might really enjoy it. I
1: have seen some neat editions. Although I was going to say, I thought I remember you telling me that you didn't like this book, or or did was that us having? I feel like someone told me recently that they're like it was. It was.
0: Yeah. I I I don't really enjoy it. I think that, like I said, I think the movie's better, but I think it's a really cool um, presentation. Okay. Like I'm glad I I'm glad I read it and I think it's cool the way he wrote it and it, it feels very like like if if you didn't know it was by Michael Crichton and you just found it, you would legitimately think it was some sort of historical uh manuscript being translated and be like, What the hell is going on? It, yeah. like, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's kind of the stuff that like some authors do nowadays where they like um a great example of this is like Lunar Park. Uh, by brett easton ellis that's his name right yeah 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 uh that's presented as like a memoir even though it's completely fictional but like if if you read it as a memoir it's wild yeah <laughs> and it's like i almost wished i almost wished there was a way to present it and just completely lie to the public and be like this is true 100 true and <laughs> the the best types of like found fiction films like uh Blair Witch Project when that came out and people were saying that it was like just somebody's footage that they found and published like that kind of stuff is always really fun if you can keep that suspension of disbelief
1: well that's a great pick i you know when i didn't even think that non-fictional framing device like the, the um eaters of the dead didn't even come to mind but that is a that is a good pick yeah um okay Let's go ne- to the next one, which is Nuclear Warheads.
0: I don't have a pick for this. Or rather, my pick for this shows up later on the list for better reasons.
1: Okay, I picked something that's not um, political or military thriller. It's actually science fiction. Um, it's called Lucifer's Hammer. Um, oh! Yeah, by Larry Niven and Jerry Cornell.
0: Don't, don't do do. do do not spoil this for me because I, I have this book and I want to read it. I own it. Okay, let's
1: leave it at that then. Um, yeah,
0: uh, it's – I don't know what
1: you can say about it without spoiling it too much. Do you want to just like read the back of the book? Well, I don't have it in front of me, but there's – the paperback the, – the, the paperback edition is kind of cool looking. I've just seen it all throughout my life. Just this, the, It's one of those books that just keeps – you, know, you, you you see it at a used bookstore at a new bookstore but um yeah i don't want to say too much about it if you think that it's a, we might spoil something um but, yeah okay.
0: I, all i can say for the audience is um out of science fiction that we discuss on the podcast i think that one sounds dad lit in a way that I don't think we've ever discussed on the podcast yeah I think and I kind of want to I kind of want
1: to do it now well I think dad lit science fiction is going to be more like hard science fiction as opposed to soft science fiction and when I say hard science fiction I don't mean like difficult to read science fiction there's definitely I mean
0: there's definitely a place there's definitely a place for pulp sci-fi on the list but I I do think
1: that that it's the hard science fiction meaning it's more rooted in science than um than sort of imaginative yeah. speculation and um I yeah. think hard
0: hard sci-fi is a lot more about the science and uh less about the fiction, where soft sci-fi is a lot more about philosophy and ideas.
1: Well Arthur C. Clarke would be a great example of of hard science fiction. Um, And I just think that it'll check off more dad lit boxes and just has a generally has a more dad lit vibe. But you're right, too, because the soft science fiction has some of those more pulpier, like, you know, hyper competent male protagonist elements as well.
0: If uh, this is a little bit of a tangent and kind of a circling back around, if you want something that has some uh, Cold War Red Menace vibes um, that is contemporary and is very good hard sci-fi there's a book called saturn run that is about a a modern day space race between um, um the americans and china to try to get to saturn first for specific reasons but everything about their spacecraft is like heavily researched and you can like get all of their notes in the like um, appendix of their book. And there's like a whole afterward about how they researched for the book and what elements were real and what, what is based on like real research for spacecraft. It's really fascinating. It's really, really hard sci-fi.
1: Okay. Let's, uh, let's go on to the next one. Multiple moles. Uh,
0: For multiple moles, I did where, where Eagles dare.
1: Oh, that's that's good. That's good. Okay, here's here's what I've got. Who goes there? By John Campbell. <laughs> Ooh,
0: wait, we're just we're just sticking with the science fiction, man. Yeah, it's like the list that you made is the, my shopping list. Like if if people wanted to shop for gifts for me,
1: those are all of your picks. So I thought that was a good a good use of the multiple moles thing. And if you if you but but think about it, even if you don't, but is it? Well, if you don't like, if you don't, even if you don't like horror or science fiction or not that you don't like it, you just, it's not what you typically read. I do think that the, um, you know, the, there's something about that novel, the paranoia uh, of it that is, is, would appeal to someone who enjoys, you know, like spy thrillers or something like that. It's just, yeah, if you, if you, enjo- if you enjoy
0: Michael Crichton novels, you would love the story who goes and most there.
1: people are probably familiar with it it's it's the basis for um the film the thing uh, John carpenter's the thing and uh, I'll say no more but yeah
0: yeah it's it <sighs> I would argue that it's one mole, but we'll, we'll let the viewers decide. That occurred
1: to me as well, but uh, but it's a technicality. Um, it,
0: it has the vibe. It has the vibe of paranoia better than any story I've ever read.
1: Right. Which is, I think, part of the multiple moles thing is, is the paranoia and anxiety. Okay, but moving forward, next up we have experimental technology. Yeah, what you got for that? Okay. actually, I have another science fiction novel. Which I guess you'd kind of have to if it's experimental technology. I I, I do as well. Cool. Okay, so this is a novel called Blind Lake by Robert Charles Wilson. And the uh, hardcover edition has this really cool like um, insectoid-looking alien creature on the front. Um, and what Blind Lake is about, uh, it takes place in a research facility that's – I think it's just kind of a stand-in for Area 51 – um, and it is about these scientists who are using these, um, telescopes to view something like 50, uh, to view a planet like 50 billion light years away. And they're observing alien life on this planet. And the aliens, there are these giant, um, like carapist, very strange looking creatures. Um, and strange things start to happen um i don't want to give too much away but um well i won't give uh, oh that
0: i i kind of want to read that that sounds interesting the
1: experimental technology is the telescopes because they are these um uh, these quantum computers are involved in operating the telescopes and basically the the human scientists who are using the telescopes to view this you know um 50 billion light-year away species don't even understand how these telescopes work. They, the the telescopes have become oh, like uh, intelligent basically. Um cool. It's been it's yeah. been a while since I read it, but I remember really enjoying it and I think it's regarded as Robert Charles Wilson's like one of his like not better novels because he's written some other stuff that is like more it's like a highly regarded, but I thought it was really good. So blind lake by Robert Charles Wilson. See if you can get a copy of the uh, hardcover with the really cool alien on the front. Okay. How about you? Um, for experimental technology,
0: I have the storm by Clive Cussler. It is one of his series that we haven't discussed, at least not at depth on the pod. It is um, one of the pneumophiles stories. It's um he has a series of books that focus more around the operation of the the National Underwater Marine Agency. And there are like after Dirk Pitt goes off to do like like special projects and things Um, someone else takes over, like, the main operations of Numa, and it's about him and his side character. And they're very reminiscent of Dirk Pitt and Al Giardino. Um, it's a character named Kurt Austin and his, like, Brooklyn, uh, sidekick. And, um, it's, they're a lot more about projects and, like, science and technology than the Dirk Pitt books, which are a lot more, like, high adventure. Um... Some of them are pretty good. Some of them aren't. The storm deals with um, nanotechnology in an application to affect the weather. And it's really interesting the science discussed in it of how you could take uh, nanomachines and spread them out on the surface of the ocean in an area and affect the temperature of the water. By either reflecting sunlight away or by letting the sunlight absorb into the like nanotechnology and heating the water up, and you can change um, convection and air current and stuff, and make storms or in, in like influence the movement of weather, and it's it has like a pretty cool like Elon Musk type Bond villain involved. And some uh, shady foreign deals, Um, and of course, horrifying nanotechnology.
1: That sounds cool. I uh, I kind of want to read it next. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna finish this book. It's good. It's it's pretty good. As we're going through these things, it's tough because I'm gonna finish this one book tonight, and I'm like, "Ah, what am I gonna read next? And I get like anxious, and I'm like, well, you gotta have something good. But you know, you're gonna read the race. Maybe, maybe. Okay moving forward next up we have gun porn um mine is uh you know it's a, a lot of these books i read a long time ago i don't remember if it has any of those like it's kind of about about like one gun basically and it's the uh, day of the jackal by frederick forsyth um that is a cool gun yeah it's it's not uh, i mean gun porn can also refer to you know throw away descriptions and of, of guns and i almost this is about like you know, i almost yeah
0: yeah i um it's about glorifying guns though it's about like really showing off and uh lifting a gun up on a pedestal what do, it does that, that yeah that story does it what, what, um i almost said persuader uh for several reasons what, um yeah, that's a
1: good good one
0: but i th- but but i thought about it longer and i settled on something else that we've discussed um fire in the hole
1: uh the short story yeah the short story oh it has the um, rpg fire in the yeah hole. the bazooka
0: it has the rpg it has the um, rifle and it has um, the main character's um revolver so there's quite a few guns mentioned and they Um, definitely describe them at length and draw a lot of attention to them.
1: Okay. Um, that's a good one. I think, you know, we we didn't rate that story super high as, as dad lit I I enjoyed the story, but it it just, uh, maybe in a different time and place, I might think more of of that story.
0: I just think if your dad likes guns, I think he would enjoy that short story.
1: Okay, next up we have vehicle porn.
0: Uh, Connor, please read The Race.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, mine's also. (laughs) um, Either
0: The Race for me or I also put The Chase down. The the Chase we discussed on the podcast and it is like the introduction for the red locomobile that is featured in a lot of those books. I have to give it to The Chase as well yeah because not only do they discuss the locomobile, they discuss the motorcycles in that they discuss the trains. there's a lot of vehicles uh that if if the book had centerfolds, it would be a vehicle.
1: okay now there are n- th- th- <laughs> I haven't seen any like really excellent editions of that, so any paperback one is good. um all right, yeah. next helicopters.
0: I don't have one for helicopters. I tried to think about one for helicopters. Several things came to mind, but none of them are really about helicopters or feature them predominantly. Um, But most of them are other things on my list, so I'll just hold off. So
1: I didn't really have anything great either. I was going to say like maybe like Black Hawk Down. Um, but I, 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 so I started looking for helicopter books that looked cool. So admittedly, admittedly, this is, a, this is one of them I have not read, but I'll post a picture of it online and it looks cool. Um, it's called low level hell, uh, by Hugh L. Mills Jr. with Robert A. Anderson. Um, and the, the cover art art has one of those smaller, um, like, Combat helicopters, not an Apache, but the kind of bubble-looking ones that that seem like they're really like agile. It's not a Huey because the Hueys are like look a little more bulky, like a Whirlybird. Um, let me let me uh, read the description here. The aero Scouts of the First Infantry Division had three words emblazoned on their unit patch: Low Level Hell. Um, it was then and continues today as the perfect concise definition. Of what these intrepid aviators experienced as they ranged the skies of Vietnam from the Cambodian border to the Iron Triangle, the outcasts, as they were known, flew low and slow, aerial eyes on the division in search of the enemy. Too often, for longevity's sake, they found the Viet Cong and the fight was on. These young pilots, 19 to 22 years old, invented the book as they went along. Um, So it's about like low-level helicopter pilots in Vietnam who...
0: That sounds yeah, pretty cool. Some actually, shit.
1: so I have not read the book, but if you like helicopters, I'm guessing you're gonna like it. And it's again, what, w- thinking about these things, I think about like when you open up that because you give you give someone a book and like you hope they read it, and you you know when you open up a gift, you kind of want to be, you know, shocked or or excited. So I think the I think this book would really ex- excite people. Um, submarine It excites me I Now I want to read it well, Do you have anything for submarines?
0: Yes I have too many things for submarines, Connor I Like a lot of my list Got reshuffled around Multiple times Because of submarines So um, Honorable mention Is Pacific Vortex By Clive Cussler Which is the Chronologically by story The first Dirk Pitt novel um, it is a James Bond book. That's all I can say. Like it, it's, it does James Bond better than James Bond takes place in uh, like the island, like Pacific islands deal has a super villain in it has a, a hot lady and it has nuclear submarines. That is not my pick though. My pick would have to either be Valhalla rising black Clive Custler, for the reason that it, has multiple types of submarines. There are nuclear submarines, there are uh, pleasure submarines like for rich people, there are scientific submarines that Numa uses, and there is a cameo of the nautilus. Yes, that nautilus from 20,000 leagues under the sea. It is a tie in novel for 20,000 leagues under the sea.
1: Oh, that that's um, that's pretty cool.
0: It's a crazy, crazy Dirk Pitt novel. If if any of you have someone that likes 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or specifically Submarines, they would love this book. It's wild. It's crazy. It's definitely over the top. It has a really cool villain in it. Um, Dirk Pitt at his most hyper-competent male protagonist. And it has a really interesting twist ending for people that are fans of Clive Cussler books. Um, uh, I believe it's also one of the books that Clive Cussler shows up in as himself. But would, at yeah. any rate, would
1: you say this is a book? Um, is this, uh, is this one, one of his earlier novels? No, this is one of the
0: later ones. Okay. This is one of
1: the ones that are like very over the top. I was going to say, cause is this, um, has he jumped the shark kind of by this point? Like we were talking about earlier.
0: Yeah. Like I said, he shows up in it. Uh, there's multiple types of submarines that the Nautilus shows up. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, I, I like it for the exact opposite reasons I like his early books. That being said, if you are looking for something more grounded, uh, one of my favorite books of all time is Dead Wake by Eric Larson. It is nonfiction and it is about the sinking of the Lusitania in World War 1 and a big portion of that book is about the life and times of the German U-boat that sunk the Lusitania and you get to find out what it's like to live on a old old submarine it's very eye opening very interesting if again if your dad is a like a history buff or likes World War 1 it's excellent if they like nautical stuff it's excellent if they like submarines it's the best so that's my pick and that's probably my pick for best christmas gift for dads um the the eric larson book yeah dead wake by eric larson okay you know i i I believe there's only been one cover for it so
1: any edition will do so I don't um, I don't have anything for this. I'm kind of ashamed to say. I mean, I, I haven't read that many books with submarines in them. The the ones I have read, I've enjoyed, but I don't. I didn't want to recommend anything. Um, but yours is sounds perfect. Okay, moving on. Uh, okay, a gift for the dad who loves. Hold, hold on, hold on.
0: So the technical next thing on the list was both
1: you're right <laughs>
0: both uh which is a book that has both helicopters and submarines well
1: in that case, I would recommend the the edition of the Hunt for Red October the u k hardcover i i got th- my man that that is
0: where hunt for the Red October ended up on my list right. it could have been in multiple categories I wanted it for um nuclear warheads yeah, but it is it is helicopters and submarines the book
1: <laughs> yeah the, the the uk hardcover edition is really cool looking too it has this video game graphics on it uh you can definitely you can yeah see it we our, talked about it our, if, our, our Yeah, if you guys
0: want to know more about hunt for the red october and you want to see that cover i think we posted it on the instagram when we discussed the book
1: okay next up for the dad lit reader who really loves maps illustrations and diagrams
0: can we hold on for one second? Yeah. Um, I have a couple items on here that are technically on the checklist, but we almost never cover them on the checklist. Okay. And I really want to, like, drive this home. Planes. If your dad likes planes, please get him the book Airframe well, by Michael Crichton. Let's see.
1: I, w- I said dad earlier. It's not just dad. It's the dadlit reader.
0: Yeah. Dadlit readers will still enjoy Airframe by Michael Crichton.
1: Okay. What else? Um
0: it is it is it is a book about a air accident on a commuter plane and the investigation that follows into what happened, what failed, and how to prevent it from happening again. It's interesting. It's like almost if you could have a medical drama about an airplane. <laughs> okay what Um, that's a good one and and then uh do you have anything that would be good for airplanes
1: um no
0: no no okay i also put one here for ships moby dick it is the ship book it is the book about ships it is the book about nautical
1: and let me let me hit pause there a sec because i do have something actually the sequel for yeah, the sequel to the eagle has, has landed is the eagle has flown and um, there is a pilot who's a main character he's actually an American who um, ends up as a as a um, a pilot for the SS I think well, is, it, is it
0: the same pilot from the
1: first book? no he's a new character who's introduced but he is okay. uh, he at the end he flies this very um unique uh uh, airplane so and and his experiences as a pilot are pretty interesting so i would say that if you really like you know uh interesting use of aircraft um or kind of like aircraft porn (laughs) uh that's a good book for you the eagle has flown that's a good pick okay Um, you were saying yeah. so
0: for for yeah i was saying for ships uh Moby Dick is the ship book it, it is practically non-fiction about uh how old sailing vessels and whaling works it's written really well a lot of people will give it flack for being dry or boring I don't find it to be that at all I find it to be highly informative so if, if your dad likes boats ships uh stuff like master and commander far side of the world um pirates whatever if if they're a nautical dad or a a a nautical reader nautical lover whatever get them a really nice edition of moby dick
1: that's that's a nice nice gift um i would say uh for for mine it's funny i've got a buddy who keeps telling me "You, you have to read the master and commander book you have to read those books they're so good I do want to at some point because yeah. I don't think we're ever gonna get another movie um, but I would say for mine um, HMS Ulysses by Alistair McLean you can find a cool pulp you know not pulpy it's not a pulpy book but you can when I say I use the word pulpy a lot to describe a lot of different things but you can find a cool uh, edition with some nice cover art um, for relatively cheap but that's what I would pick for for your dadlit uh, gift recipient
0: okay. You were going to move on to what, maps, illustrations, or diagrams? Now, I,
1: I did something incorrect here because the actual Dadless checklist item is maps, illustrations, diagrams in first edition. And the gift I picked out is not a first edition. It would be to get a first edition of this book, you'd be paying a pretty penny. But I picked the Penguin Classics edition of the novel Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad um it has a an introduction um it has some notes it has uh, maps of 1890s london or a map of 1890s london and i think it has a map of hyde park as well and um this is this is uh you know i wouldn't even call it like proto dadlit but if you enjoy spy novels and you want to read you know um a a a variety you know and learn learn about the history of the genre Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad, Penguin Classics edition, map included. What did you have? Nice.
0: Um, there's a number of things you could list. I listed Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park has. Uh, Crichton in general tends to put maps in and diagrams and little things. Sometimes it's like the uh, uh, like an email presented is as like an email. With, like, the weird typeface and it looks different. It's dropped in as, like, a document on the page rather than a bit of dialogue on the page. Um, But he, in Jurassic Park, it, it has a map at the beginning. It has, every chapter has a diagram of a fractal and has a bit, like, of exposition kind of I guess about fractals and chaos theory and there are several diagrams throughout the book about specific things about the park and how it functions you could also pick a, a many Clive Cussler books when they are about uh, some sort of historic find or excavation he'll often present maps or a diagram of a ship um, those are all really good ones if I had to pick a Crichton book Um, I think it's Inca gold. Um, I think it's the one that has like a map of like a old Roman battleground in
1: the front of it. That's pretty cool. Sounds good. Yeah. I've seen Inca gold. I mean, that's a very easily, you can get your hands on that book pretty easy. Um, okay. Here's the last thing I have on uh, my list. At least, um, author photo includes one or more of the following Hawaiian shirt, aviator sunglasses, Navy ball cap, antique car dog. Okay. Who did you pick? Okay. I picked Dean Koontz and he, his is the dog. He's always got his, uh, like a, might be a, a golden retriever. Um, I think he has two golden retrievers, but the book I picked is called shattered and it is a road, um, road thriller, uh, novel, about uh, a maniac stalking this guy um, and his—I think it's it's his new his new stepson or, or maybe it's just his girlfriend's child—but they're on a um, a cross-country trip and they uh, catch the attention of this killer. So it's it's uh, I like road horror. Um, Duel is one of my favorite. Uh, short stories, and I think it's a a great movie as well. So, if you enjoy Duel, you might enjoy something like this. Uh, Although it has a little bit more, like, in-person you know, uh, excitement. It's not just played out on the road. But Shattered by Dean Koons. There's some really cool-looking older paperback editions of Dean Koons that are really stylish. So, I would recommend just doing a (laughs) uh, looking for an edition on Thrift Books. We we really need to get around to doing something by Koons. There's a lot we need to get around to.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I know. There's plenty of plenty of uh, dad lit in the, the coming year, but uh, I think that's... We need to get to around to doing a Crichton and we need to get around to doing a Coons.
1: Who did you have
0: for this? Or what did you have? Uh, Clive Custler. Most, most books you'll find of Clive Custler have him next to a fancy car, sometimes wearing a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses. Um, the, the one I mentioned earlier, Valhalla Rising has a great picture on the back of it of him. Uh, I don't know what edition it was that I read that had it, but um, I don't know why you would be shopping for this specific reason, but there you go. Um, I have a couple more things on my list. Go for it. Um, Can you think of anything that has uh, chapters, have location, date or timestamps?
1: You know, I couldn't, I, I tried to, I looked up a couple books where I thought it would have this, um but they didn't what did you pick for that
0: I picked 61 hours the oh, lee child you know I
1: thought it, I I thought of that because you've been recommending it to me but I haven't read it so I that was one of them I didn't want to put on there but okay that's good
0: I'll recommend it and I'll say it's got time stamps because it counts down um did you have anything for is
1: it part of a series I just thought that the Liam Devlin books would be great if you wanted to buy someone like I'm surprised you didn't say the precinct books. Oh, the 87th precinct? Well, those would be good yeah. gifts. There's so many of them, but you could buy someone all four of the Liam Devlin books and that would be a cool little Four you
0: know, four is a, four is easy. Doable. I was going to say you, you you could do crazy stuff where like when I first got into Michael, not Michael Crichton. When I first got into Clive Custler, uh I found almost all of the Dirk Pitt books available at some person's yard sale and bought them all. And you could do something like that for someone who's, like, a fan of a series or you want to introduce them to a series that you think they'd like. And I was just thinking maybe, like, the eighty-seven Precinct would be a kind of a cool thing to, like, just get a dad, like, a chunk of and just be like, here you go, here's your next year worth of reading.
1: Yeah, I would do – I I would uh, give um, – the Liam Devlin ones, it's such – It's such a doable thing, though. It's four books, and they're all pretty short. Four is much more doable. Not that long.
0: Yeah. Um, I put down Thunderball by uh, Ian Fleming, specifically because not only are the Bond books a series, but Thunderball is the beginning of a trilogy within the Bond books that is worthwhile to read, and you could get all three of them for someone as a gift. Um, the first one is Thunderball. The second one is uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and the third and final one is um, You Only Live Twice. Those three books tell the story of Bond's like main nemesis Ernst Stavro Blofeld, and it does something in the books that never make it into the movies, which is talk about his backstory and like how he became a career criminal and like mastermind. It's really interesting and it's one of the reasons to read Thunderball. So that's my pick. Okay. Um, And finally, um, do you have anything for, is there a large print version at your library?
1: (laughs) Um, No, I'm afraid not.
0: I put green eggs and ham. Perfect. (laughs) We discussed it on the podcast. (laughs) Yes. Perfect.
1: Um, (laughs) <laughs> and it, that does include uh, illustrations in the first edition as well. So it does.
0: <laughs> and a bo-
1: b- uh, uh, train and boat and Schmeisers, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> they referenced the, the Israeli Uzi at one point. Yeah. Go listen to our episode for more.
0: Um, so yeah, this has been good. Uh, it's definitely an interesting exercise.
1: Um, so before we wrap this up, big, big takeaways. I think if you want, if you if you have someone in your life who enjoys dad lit, meaning they like military th- thrillers, police procedurals, political thrillers, nautical fiction, action adventure, pulps, stuff like that, stuff we talk about, um, my big holiday rep- uh, recommendations would be a nice Michael Crichton first edition. Like I said, I recommend the... Congo, um, UK first edition. It's just really cool. Um, I also think it would be kind of fun to get them some pulpy Western novels. Um, in particular, I've I've enjoyed the Fargo books. Um, I think that would be a fun thing to do. Um, and and also, you know what? If if you, there's someone in your life who's maybe got like one toe in dadlit, or maybe they just enjoy thrillers a really nice you know um Ian Fleming paperback would be a good gift too and if you can get one that has some interesting cover art, I think people you know would enjoy would enjoy that even if they're not huge you know uh, spy thriller or action adventure readers
0: yeah I think and and I think if you were going to gift someone an Ian Fleming book, it would be one of those three I've just mentioned or probably Dr. No Dr. No is probably the most bond
1: bond book yeah um okay well with that um i hope you all have a good holiday season But before we go hold on
0: jump in the gun there jump in the gun i was gonna ask you well i I was Um, gonna ask
1: you what you're reading
0: (laughs) oh i'm gonna ask you that too but first i want to say takeaways for my shopping list oh yeah if uh, so in my opinion if if you wanted to get someone a good gift my picks would be Dead Wake by Eric Larson for the person who loves nonfiction. Uh, For the person who loves fiction, I'll defer to Connor and say Congo by Michael Crichton. And if uh, you have someone that likes audiobooks, I still say find the complete collection of Sherlock Holmes read by Stephen Fry. It's an enjoyable time. Those are my takeaways. Chris. Connor.
1: What you're reading.
0: Um so I'm still going through Colonel Son, a James Bond book not by Ian Fleming. And today I also started The Hog Father by Terry Pratchett for some some Christmas time reading. That's, that's um so for some future reading I picked up something that we talked about on the pod. What's that?
1: Oh, Forever and a Death no, you by Donald Westlake. The uh, the Bond script that didn't get made, but the story was used to write a novel, but different character names.
0: Yeah, it's a Bond book in everything but names. He changed all the names so he could publish it. Um, I thought it was an interesting idea, and the cover is dope. So <laughs> I had to get it. And I I like his storytelling, so we'll
1: see how it is. I'll let you know what are you reading i mentioned i'm reading march violets by philip Kerr, and i'll finish that tonight i think and i don't know what i'm gonna read next like i'm really loving and I'm, I'm re-watching band of brothers so i'm very much in like a world war ii mindset right now great for the holidays i love to just bulk up on world war ii fiction for christmas <laughs> yeah weird i know but i might re- i don't know i might read like uh a jack higgins novel uh, next another like world war Two set one um but i don't know i don't know i also got this collection of horror short stories in the mail today so maybe i'll read that but yeah philip Kerr, march violets it's a, it's a pretty good pretty um I, I don't know i i'm just there's something fascinating to me i i've been to europe twice now and i love it over there it's just so everything is so beautiful and there's so much history Yeah, i want to go in the challenge of of the you know the linguistic challenge um and and you still have this feeling of like the, the old world there. Like there's still like, I mean, obviously you go to Rome. There's like antiquity, but you know the the buildings are older, and you go in, and you go inside them, and you feel like you're step you're in a you know, kind of stepping back in time. So I I don't I don't know I I, I think a lot about that, and uh, I think I've been thinking lately. I'm like oh, maybe I want to like move. <laughs> move somewhere uh, overseas but it'll take years to save the money to do that I'm thinking about doing that uh, where would you go
0: uh, Dana and I are having serious discussions about moving to Iceland that's cool I I that's I mean has she been there no but it's apparently a place that is somewhat easy to move to if you have a relevant occupation uh, the only difficult thing is the language. Mm-hmm. So we're looking into trying to learn Icelandic, uh,
1: and if that goes well, we may move forward with these plans. That's awesome. Well, I, I was thinking about um, Ireland, and I was also thinking Ooh, about Italy or Germany. You know, any—I'll take any one of those. I was also thinking that well, part of the reason I'd like to move is just because I think I'd enjoy it over there. You know, I, I would—I would enjoy myself, and I'd be engaged and you know turned on to to, to life and. Um, maybe it would become ordinary over time, but I don't think I don't think uh, New Mexico is good for you. Really, uh, It's
0: a weird thing to say, and I don't think it's bad for you necessarily. But like when I think about you and like the time that I've spent with you, I don't picture New Mexico being like where you, Chris.
1: Live. I'm a cowboy. Don't you don't you get it? No, no. Even if you're a
0: cowboy, there's I think better places to live than New Mexico. I mean not. I- well, I guess it depends what kind of cowboy. Montana, big sky country.
1: Well, but but I Italy, Italy where westerns were the filmed. Real West, <laughs> Italy. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there's a but. But I was thinking too because politics in uh, America. That was one of my considerations. Was like, God, what if after the next election, this country is just completely fucked up and you know violent and yep. whatever? But I was also thinking too that I, I you know. I'm an American and Americans are, are my people. And I would feel kind of weird, like just leaving the country and kind of abandoning this country. Um, because it didn't work out for me here. Like I I don't, I've had
0: similar, I've had similar, that's a conflict, you know, internal conflict. Um, it's, it's, do you feel like you've given up? Do you feel like you could benefit it by staying? Do you feel like you could be part of the solution? You and I are both very lucky in that we are white men. Um, we wouldn't do poorly if things go the way that they're going, but I don't really think it will. I think we're being slightly pessimistic, but, um, I do think that it is important for all of us to get out and vote. I do think it is important for us to be, um, active in local politics and just help your community out. Be the best you that you can be for your fellow man, and that goes for everybody, um, whether you're staying in the country or moving for whatever reason. That's
1: right. Well,
0: um, I didn't think about Iceland. More, more importantly, <laughs> more more importantly, on the note of moving, countries don't matter. The planet matters. Do good for the planet. Do good for whoever you're living around. If you move, be, be kind to your neighbor, be kind to one another and just try to benefit mankind in whatever little ways you can, whether it's, uh, everyday good deeds or whether it's writing something that inspires people just have a good life and be kind to one another. That's really all you can do. Countries and borders and all that—it's all constructed. It's all nonsense yeah that's
1: right it's a good holiday message as well yeah absolutely santa claus santa Uh, claus flies over all of those borders like it means nothing right
0: uh, cast off cast off right now who's santa claus who are you casting as santa claus
1: connor um quick this is like rapid um god ah I'm, i'm fucking it up i don't know um uh what was the last movie I saw? The last movie I saw was Godzilla Minus One. I don't remember any of the actors' names. Um, no. What about... Uh, Godzilla as Santa. <laughs> um, how about... Sean Connery. Okay. The older Sean Connery might I, I work. Do, He's I, got the white you know,
0: beard and I I, I I do like that that continues the trend of casting him in roles that are definitely not supposed to be Scottish men. Um... Okay, I'll cast Brian Blessed. Who's that? Brian Blessed, uh, he was in Flash Gordon and a bunch of other things. He's known for having, like, a big, jaunty laugh. And, um, oh, God, I hate to bring this up, but he's, uh, he's in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. He's, like, Jar Jar Binks's like the like president of the Gungan people uh, Boss Nass uh, I
1: remember Boss Nass of course I yeah. he's got he yeah
0: that's Brian Blessed's voice and like kind of his mocap to make the like character right. but that's the type of personality is like a big larger than life jolly fellow which that's Santa
1: well I've got a new one and this is my final answer Robert Zadar from Maniac Cop oh my god <laughs> Specifically from Maniac Cop. Yeah, so he's, he's in Maniac Cop two and three, I believe. But you know, you get a good look at him in Maniac Cop. He's got a big, big face. All right, who are you? Who? Who are
0: you casting as your checklist?
1: As my checklist.
0: Yeah, as your checklist. What do you mean? I'm 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 casting John Malkovich. John Malkovich is the personification of my checklist. Well, I'm
1: casting John Cusack then. Oh, all right. Very good. Very
0: good. This has been nonsense and I love it. Well, um, a Merry Christmas to you. Before we go, before bef- before we go, everyone go see Godzilla -1. Uh Connor, what did you think of it? No spoilers. I oh,
1: I thought it was excellent. It was um the story is is great. Godzilla it's is one of the best it's is genuinely it's scary the, in it. I mean the Godzilla creature design. Yeah, is, he's a menace. He's an
0: yeah. absolute menace. Anytime he shows up, he's being a huge asshole. And uh the way they use the classic theme is just terrifying. It's great. Um and I was gonna say it's uh, it would it would appeal to dad lit readers because it is a great war film that just happens to feature Godzilla. It's a it's a post
1: war film.
0: It it is, but a lot of the things that it touches on is is about the yeah, war. absolutely. Yeah. It is about uh survivors survivors guilt and uh, politics following World War Two. And the, the name, for those of you that are confused, uh, Godzilla Minus One. What does that mean? Because World War II brought Japan to zero. It, like, ruined and broke Japan. And then Godzilla shows up and brings it even lower, which is
1: brings it to minus one. Um, Get the kids in the car and take f- them to Godzilla Minus One now. Phenomenal film.
0: It's a good monster movie, like, legitimately scary monster movie. Uh, it's a wonderful, just like I said, wonderful war film, post-war film, all of the actors knock it out of the park. It's a compelling story with, uh, I think some really good points and emotions brought up and the effects are phenomenal. I don't know how they did some of it. It's really interesting to me that some of the visual effects looked like models, but weren't, um, There's like a scene where they show like a a train in Japan and I thought it was a model and I like knew in my mind it couldn't possibly be. But I think they used like a tilt shift on the visual effects to make it look like a model. Uh, But it's a phenomenal piece of cinema and a phenomenal movie. One of the best Godzilla movies I've seen. If it's still in theaters, go see it. And if it's not in theaters, when it comes out at home release, buy it for a gift for somebody.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, with that, happy holidays. Uh, hope you have a really good one. Happy holidays. Happy new year too as well. And, uh,
0: go, go put a, yule go put a Yule log on the fire. Go put out some milk and cookies for yourself. Uh, enjoy a nice read while you're under a blankie. Uh, and, uh, dream of sugar plums dancing in your head. And then, uh, Wake up on whatever holiday you celebrate and be kind to your, your fellow Dream man
1: of Sugar Plums dancing. And then Frosty comes with uh, an MK2 suppressed Sten gun and rakes them with it and then pulls off their um, Sugar Plum uh, uniform and reveals that they are actually undercover Fallschirmjäger. Um, Multiple moles,
0: starring Brian Blessed, coming to the theaters never. Okay, uh, Dad, you dad later, you everybody. Later.
1: <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dadlit Podcast. And uh, you can email us at dadlitpodcast at gmail.com if you have any uh, questions or suggestions for future episodes. Get out of here. Don't ask questions.